The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit Matters, where we explore matters of the spirit with leading experts from across the spiritual spectrum, all designed to enrich and enlarge your wisdom, deepen your joy and peace, and awaken your inner connection to the divine. Here's your host, Philip Goldberg. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Spirit Matters podcast, where we host conversations with a diverse range of wise and wonderful and sometimes witty spiritual teachers, scholars, and other experts who can help you along your own spiritual path. If you're tuning in for the first time, please uh, go to the homepage of at mindbodyspirit.fm and uh, tune in to all of our previous interviews. The archive is building now. And um, for those of you who were familiar with the previous iteration of this podcast that I co-hosted with Dennis Ramundi for a number of years, that lives on in an archive at spiritmatterstalk.com. And there you'll find a few hundred really good interviews. And today will be no exception. My guest is Dean Slider. Dean is a public speaker, a meditation teacher, a leader of workshops and retreats, and the critically acclaimed author of six books, including Natural Meditation, Cinema Nirvana, and his most recent, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. Dean studied with many teachers from various traditions over the course of his spiritual path, and not insignificantly has been a dear friend of mine and my spiritual companion ever since we were toddlers on the path more than 50 years ago. And uh, we've had countless conversations, he and I, about matters both sublime and ridiculous over those years. And now you, dear listeners, get to hang out with us for an hour or so. Welcome, Dean. Hi, Phil. It's great to be here again, or still, or (laughs) whatever this is. It's timeless. Yeah. Dean, um, I uh, always like to begin interviews by asking people for a sort of overview of their own spiritual history, their own path, the origin story. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I can probably tell yours (laughs) myself, (laughs) I'll let you do it. Tell our listeners about your own story before well, we dive into your work. Okay. Well, my my origin, my spiritual origin story begins in in childhood really where I had a couple of uh spontaneous experiences that let's say caught my attention. Um uh the 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 most fun one to talk about um, and probably the one that was most predictive of the kind of thing that I do these days, especially in my writing, is uh, that at the age of 11, um, uh, I had by then a very kind of perpetually churning mind. What about this? And it was a very kind of um, a crowded, unsettled skull to to live inside of. 
And um, one day my mom sent me out to the garage to clean out the back seat of our Nash Rambler station wagon, um, which dates this story, uh, because we were going to be going to a drive-in movie that night. And I was to clear out all the toys and comic books that my brothers and I had left in the back seat. So I'm out there picking up these toys and comic books. And my head is going, buck, 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 buck. and the next thing I pick up is a mad magazine. And on the cover, of course, is Alfred E. Newman's grinning idiot face and his Maha Mantra. What? Mahavakya. His, the Maha, this was for me the Mahavakya. And it was, <laughs> what? Me worry? And in an instant, I saw that all this brick, 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 brick that was going on was this is a thing. It's it's a phenomenon. It's called worry, and it wasn't happening to me. I was doing it, and therefore I could choose to stop doing it. I could the the reason all that revving up was going on was my foot had been on the accelerator at already for several years, and having located that, I was able to take my foot off the accelerator, and everything went into blissful silence. Eat it with a spoon, cut it with a knife, samadhi as if just my essentially my the top of my skull opened up and merged with the sky and i floated in that state all like through the whole ridiculous uh uh troy donahue movie that we went to at the (laughs) drive-in and um and uh that was gone by the morning but then there was a part of me that went oh hmm what's going on there and then yada 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 i was in California in the mid sixties, uh, going to high school and college. And there was, uh, psychedelics and there was starting to be the influx of teachers of, of various stripes and, uh, right place, right time. And, you know, I just right away knew, oh, this is, this is the stuff I've been waiting to hear. And here you are. And here, and here I is. Lo, these many decades later. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, for those who don't know the term we were having fun with, Mahavakya is mm-hmm. a Sanskrit word that means essentially the great utterance. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and the traditional Mahavakyas uh, are things like Tatvamasi, right. that thou art. Uh, you know, when the when the student and traditionally the Mahavakyas are used at a point where the student is just right for it, like I'm getting it, I'm, you know, and then the teacher says, hey, bingo, ta- bingo, tag, you're it. Uh, <laughs> right. But it, but it could be, but it could be anything. You know, I yeah. love the, the Zen story about the, the monk who's been working away at his meditation, but, but, but almost getting it, almost getting it. One, one foggy morning, he's rowing across a lake not thinking about meditation, not thinking about enlightenment. And in the middle of the fog, he does not see the crow because it's so foggy, but he hears the cawing. And somehow the cawing of the crow for him is the Mahavakya. Hmm. That moment, that's the thing that, and uh, oh, yeah, right, of course, here we are. Um, and actually, it's that's a good example because... There's a tendency once something like that happens, you know, if things had then gone a little different way, if he had, um, um, let's say he then gained a following and his story became a big story and yada, 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 2,000 years later, there would be people wearing little, you know, the holy crow on chains around their necks and all, you know, waiting in the lake for the fog to roll in so they could also achieve nirvana or salvation or whatever the thing had been distorted into at that point. And Um, and, um, pilgrimages to places where there are crows with people yes. sitting and, waiting and for the the right crow to come on. Th- that's right. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, everything is everything on the enlightenment path is is what the Buddha called the second thorn. You know, you get the you the the first thorn, you're walking through the forest, you get a thorn in the bottom of your foot. That's what the Buddha called dukkha. Uh, uncomfortableness, something's wrong, suffering. It's often yeah. slightly misleadingly translated as um, 
So what are we going to do about it? So what we do is we have spiritual practice. We have meditation. We have all the practices that your guests talk about with you. We have the study, the insight, all that. And all that constitutes the second thorn, which you use to dig out the first thorn. And then you throw both thorns away. There comes the day. There comes there comes the day. It yeah. takes a thorn to remove a thorn. Yeah. Um, since you brought up the the subject of practice, I want to get into uh, what I consider the fun part of your work, uh, your uh, unique talent for finding. Uh, profound spiritual messages in unlikely places like works of art we don't think of as spiritual. Mm -hmm. And we'll come to that. But I also want to uh, discuss with you your, uh, based on your, your book, Natural Meditation, um, and your, your leading uh, free meditation sessions online by Zoom, you do meditation retreats and so forth. So nowadays, unlike the 60s when we got on to this stuff, it's very easy for seekers to find a practice. Mm -hmm. There's a zillion online. There are a zillion at yoga studios and various meditation centers. There are many forms of meditation, and some are called mindfulness, and some are called meditation, and some are called you know, contemplative, whatever. You emphasize the term natural. So I want you to explain for our listeners why natural, what that suggests about the uh, variety of meditation practices there are out there. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I mean by natural is um, that most of the things that most people will associate with the word meditation, we don't do that. Uh, people, most people, they hear the word meditation, they think, oh, concentrating. Oh, I have to clear the mind. Oh, I, I have to, uh, I'm having too many thoughts. I have to reduce thoughts. Oh, I have to feel peaceful. Oh, I have to sit motionless. Um, uh, and uh, none of the above. When you eliminate all of those things, what's left is natural meditation. And what's left is not much. Um, um, and the, it turns out that, um, see, basically, effort is which effort which can be very effective and very appropriate in many many fields if you want to learn to play the violin you got to practice your scales dip, 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 dip. eventually you get to a place where it flows but you're always working it's it's that's a lifetime thing um meditation is the one area where working doesn't work not working works and the the reason is the reason that um that effort is 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 counterproductive is that any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation i'm going to say that again because it took me <laughs> it it took me years to formulate this sentence to get it right and i like to say this any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. So that is the catch-22 of trying to meditate. And if I had a dollar for every time someone said, well, I tried to meditate, but, right? And then, and pretty much after the but, I stopped listening because essentially they're going to tell me some version of the story of effort. And, and really it would be accurate to say, well, I tried to meditate and therefore it was difficult. Right. Got it. Yeah. So, um, so what I essentially show people how to do is, and it's not even to say show them how to do. See, again, it sounds <laughs> like it sounds show like them how not to do. Right. How I show how essentially how I 
pull the rug of doing out from under them so that they go into free fall, which is natural. Uh, and free fall is conducted by gravity. And and as you know, having shared some a teacher or or two together, <laughs> we we're we're very versed in the idea, um, not just the idea, the reality that the 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 universal gravitation law of gravitation of human life is we're always trying gravitating toward joy, toward peace, toward happiness. What we're really gravitating toward in 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 enlightenment terms is the self is the experience of awareness which is boundless in its nature because you know what color is is awareness no color what shape is it what texture is it none of the above having no qualities it has no boundaries we're looking for that boundlessness everywhere else um you know like the like the old song looking for love in all the wrong places so we so and all the experiences that we think of as joyful or happy or or peaceful or you know or what they're doing is to some degree they're you know we say oh this tea looks really good we drink the tea and we go and at that moment what we at that moment we're no longer drinking tea we're the seeking outward for tea or ice cream or success or orgasm or money or whatever it is. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but all those things are the way they work is at the moment that we have the thing, it allows us to stop sinking. And then we sink within ourselves. The awareness abides within awareness and experiences its own boundlessness. And that's where that awe is. So it's, it's locating the perpetual awe eliminating the middleman, eliminating all the, all, without having the other thing to trigger it. And because that's where our attention is always trying to gravitate, once we're pointed in that direction, it happens spontaneously. The settling just happens. Okay, sir. Thank you. I always, uh, my way of explaining this kind of thing to people <clears throat> to whom meditation is new or who harbor various misconceptions about it um, is very similar mm -hmm. to that. And I always say, you know, it, it, amidst the, the great variety of practices called meditation and called mindfulness, the key uh, variable is the amount of effort. Yeah. There's like a spectrum mm -hmm. from extreme forms of mind control mm -hmm. and gradations of that mm -hmm. to effortlessness. And uh, you uh, situate yourself, as do I, on the uh, effortless end of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, look, there are, as you know, there are venerable traditions uh in in which there's a lot of effort and uh as far as i can see and i know your scholarship on this stuff is much deeper than mine but as far as i can uh, see ultimately they reach some effortlessness you know you do in zen you 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 you're you're following your breath and you're you're bashing your skull against your koan and <laughs> you're doing all that and ultimately you get to shikantaza just sitting and um, letting go yeah yeah, just letting go and letting, letting it go. But by the way, even that phrase "letting go" yeah, that's so a... popular in this. In, I used to use that a lot in my teaching. I never use that anymore because what I discovered is people hear "letting go" and they think that whatever it is is supposed to go, go. away. That's right. And yeah. and you and and people like you'll hear people say, "Well, I'm I'm trying to let go, but I can't." Right. So, and that's a contradiction. And then you tell them to let go of that. Uh, yeah, and right. it, it's a it's a yeah. infinite so, regression. So what I what I say now, and this is a key phrase in in my guiding of meditation, is relax your grip. Hmm. The, everyone can do that. We all know how to do that. You're holding a hot potato. You relax your grip on it. You don't even have to let it go. You relax your grip. It falls to the floor. And 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 the thing is, if we're we're gripping whatever in meditation uh, or in life outside of meditation. We find ourselves gripping to something, and that's can 
creating some constriction, some limitation. All we have to do is relax our grip on it. Then it doesn't have to go away because now we're no longer, now we're once again open to the 360 degree freedom of being. And this is just one more thought or experience or phenomenon or emotion or something that's there as, as part of the panorama. Very good. Now, let us segue to your last, well, not your last few books, but some of your books and mm -hmm. some of the <laughs> most fun conversations you and I have had over the years, mm -hmm. which is um, the hidden dharma, the hidden spiritual uh, wisdom in uh, works of art. In mm -hmm. your case, most especially movies, song lyrics, literature. Mm -hmm. When people think of this, and I, I, teaching a course on this coming up on how uh, uh, the the teachings that came to us from India were transmitted through the arts, and when I do that. I'm being very explicit. The Beatles wrote these lyrics mm -hmm. based on their experience in meditation. This was right. a, the this movie, this novel, The Razor's mm -hmm. Edge is about a right. spiritual teacher. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. So I'm being uh, you explicit. You in your work usually Eschew, you ignore those obvious choices. Right. You don't do Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, or The right. Razor's Edge, right. or those things. Right. But you do mostly places where it's kind of hidden. Yeah. I so do let's, the high, the, the high-hanging fruit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Reaching higher. Right. So, um, and 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 let me mention why I do that. Okay, good. Um, a because it's more fun. You know, if it's all, if it's all laid out, then then uh, you know where, where's where's the game in that? Where's the challenge in that? Um, um, uh, so, but and but B because because if the infinite is indeed the infinite, it must be everywhere not just places where people put it on purpose, mm. right? So, so to me, it's much more significant. It, it, it's much more, it's, it's much more effective in proving that point. You know, it's like the, another Zen story where the, 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 the monk goes to his teacher, to, to his Roshi and says, what is the Buddha it was a, you know, a classic, one of the things that you ask your teacher and what, it, and it's not asking about that guy who lived 2,500 years ago. Buddha here means awakening. What, what is enlightenment? What is the, this reality that we're looking for and the teacher you know in some versions of, of in some iterations in some meetings between teacher and student the the teacher might reply oh the buddha is the beautiful sunset or the the buddha is the wild geese disappearing behind the cloud or something great but this particular time the teacher says the buddha is a pile of cow shit in the middle of the road Right now, I love that because if Buddha, if enlightenment is what it's cracked up to be, it must be everywhere. It must be, you know, seeing it in the beautiful sunset. That's too easy. Right. Whereas if we see it in the cow shit, as as I say, a that's more fun. They had already made you laugh, uh, and 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 B, it's the challenge. And then if we can, that really makes us focus. And if we can see Buddha, if we can see, you know, if it turns out to be literally the case that God is in the details, every detail, then you know, if we can see it there, we'll see it everywhere. So I I like to talk about movies and literature and song lyrics where no one was consciously thinking about enlightenment. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further 
allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Okay, so I'm looking at Cinnamon Nirvana, Mm -hmm. your book from what year? 2005. And among the chapters are The Graduate, Easy Rider, Jaws, (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Godfather. Right, right. Snow White and the Seven Rock. Right, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Casablanca. Let's start with Casablanca, the last one in the book. Why Casablanca? What did you find there? What, when people are uh, channel surfing late at night, if people still do that, or looking on uh, (laughs) streaming services for an old good movie, when they rewatch Casablanca, open their eyes, what will they see if they... Well, they it it start it it begins as a story of someone in pain. It starts with uh uh with with Rick, the the Humphrey Bogart character, uh, who is the proprietor of uh Rick's Cafe American in in Casablanca in in nineteen forty one, and um we quickly find out that uh, he's uh, nursing a broken heart because of this beautiful woman, Ilsa, played by Ingrid Bergman, who they had this wonderful romance in Paris. And then somehow there was some misunderstanding and, and, and uh, he's lost her now. Um, And he's, he's, he's bitter. Um, He's um, it's 1941. And it's the interestingly enough, this is this is very subtle. Uh, right near the beginning, uh, some one of his employees gives him a uh, puts a piece of paper in front of him for him to sign to um, uh, approve an invoice for something, and the date is, I believe, it's December fourth or December fifth, nineteen forty one. Right, it's a couple of days before Pearl, before Harbor. Pearl Harbor. Yeah, right. And he, then the film was made during the war. The film was made after Pearl Harbor, but it's very deliberately dated before Pearl Harbor. And he signs it with the most American of expressions, "Okay." <laughs> so he is there as the token American, and he's a person in pain. I'm, I'm, I'm laying a couple of elements of the foundation here, and um. Um, and so, so the question is, so there's a question about this individual, and this is the same point of departure that the Buddha's teaching begins with. What's the first noble truth? Dukkha, suffering. We're all, we all have pain. We all have un, unsatisfactoriness in our life, right? And, and you, and, you know, as we, we try when we're children, our parents try to shield us from that. They try to shield us from the fact there's horrible things happening on, uh, in the world. And there's people who've never met you who want to kill you because of the national group or the ethnic group that you belong to. We try to shield kids from this as long as possible. But when we, to, when, and when we become adults, we realize, oh, man, there's a lot of bad shit in the world. And some of it is, you know, and it's affecting me. Um so acknowledging that is the departure point. So that's Rick. He's the, 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 the suffering one. But the other thing is he's the American. And everyone in Casablanca, which is the jumping off point where refugees are from, from all over Europe, from the, 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 the onslaught of the Nazis, refugees are coming. Everyone's trying to get passage to America or someplace safe. Um, interestingly enough, Casablanca means White House. <laughs> um and rick is one of only two characters in the whole film who speak their english without an accent mm-hmm. the other one being of course uh sam played by dooley wilson the piano player um and everyone is trying to in, engage rick in the 
in the fight. And he says, he says, no, I stick my neck out for no one. Um, uh, when, when, uh, Captain Reynaud, uh, asks him, uh, what's your nationality? He says, uh, he says, I'm a drunkard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, of course, the wonderful dialogue, the, all the great catchphrases in, in the film, he says, I'm a drunkard. He says, well, that makes Rick a citizen of the world. <laughs> right and right there there's the statement of the universality of dukkha mm. right um so these two things that seem very separate about jumping about rick and by extension america jumping into the the war effort joining the good fight and rick's individual pain uh without because i realize as we're, we're speaking some people have never seen casablanca mm, that's Are, true so, so I don't want to do spoilers here, right. but let's just say that Rick ultimately learns that the only way to so, to um, heal his individual pain is to become, in this case, not just, so to speak, a Buddha, an enlightened one, but a Bodhisattva. Right. That he that he has to um, he has to give up. He give himself up to the benefit of others, which winds up having to do with, in a number of ways, joining the fight. Um, and, you know, forget about meditation, forget about enlightenment, forget. Have you noticed that when we people that you know who are um, really stuck in suffering, they're really focused on themselves. A spiritual teacher I was one time around once said, if you really want to be unhappy, if, or if you really want to be depressed, just think about yourself all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Abs absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had people who were really suffering, you know, really caught up in their depression and, and, you know, of course, as we know, you know, we, we have to right away put on the, the, the disclaimer. Some people need medication, bup, bup, sure. bup, and, uh, but also you're depressed, go work in a soup kitchen. Yeah. Go do, do, do something for, for, for someone else. Also take a good run <laughs> or, or hike or something rather yeah. than stewing in the corner. Right. Um, and so Rick, comes to that and has yes. to uh yeah i don't want to give away too much but it, yes it's an act of self-sacrifice yes yes that and, 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 and self-sacrifice which usually we think of as um um I mean, that sounds like a negative thing or at best a you know some kind of martyrdom or something but if we understand the word self uh, particularly in the Buddhist sense, as referring to the ego, referring to right. the sense of being a limited, separate being, a a a person. Um, that's the the jail that we're in. Self selfness. The 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 notion that we are, you know, as Alan Watts put it, I love this expression: an ego sewn into a bag of skin. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that's intolerable. And self sacrifice, in that sense, becomes bursting out of that. And that's why, you know. You know, when we're little, when we're kids, you know, Christmas, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? Fine. That's appropriate when you're a kid. When, as an adult, Christmas becomes, oh, giving, watching your kids open their presents. And on the simplest level, we know there's a joy to that, which is much deeper and broader and realer because, you know, when you're the kid opening up the Barbie or the GI Joe, that's going to seem like it. That's all I want. I'll never want another thing for 15 minutes. Whereas this deeper joy, this joy, you know, St. Paul said it, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that turns out to literally be the case. More blessed in the sense of it's more enlightening. It's more opening of us to 
the the boundlessness of of what we are rather than the the littleness of what we thought we were you know it it's um uh, a repeating theme in in um uh buddhist and and hindu art you can see though the the tchotchkes on my altar behind me um and this one here most, most people are listening so use your imagination audio listeners <laughs> oh we're doing <laughs> We're doing radio plays. Here come the horses. <laughs> <laughs> the detective walked in. <laughs> okay. And on the on the altar, the, the detective saw a figure of Lord Shiva. Usually you see him upright dancing with one foot beautifully in the air. This is one where he's so liberated, he's flying. Uh, and he's just barely um, touching the ground with uh, with one hand. Um, in both cases, though, um, beneath the Buddha, he, his his one foot, or in this case, his one finger, is resting on this little. Not the Buddha, be, beneath the, Shiva. The, the Shiva, Lord Shiva. Thank you. Uh, he he's and 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 Lord Shiva represents the he he is this liberation that we're talking about. Um, and what he's resting on is this little shriveled, uh, grotesque, dwarf-like figure. And what that represents is the ego. So that's what we thought we were. That little uh, ugly, shrunken thing, that's Phil. That's Dean. <laughs> uh, and and the and that the beautiful dance or the beautiful flight of Lord Shiva represents the sprouting uh the awareness, which by its nature is is boundless textureless peripheryless centerless whatever any adjective you can think of put less after it um um that is awareness just abiding in its own boundlessness uh uh freed from not that it ever really was bound in personhood but it thought it was bound in personhood so meditate this is what all spiritual practice really is aimed at doing so whether you're you're doing sitting meditation or you're doing your sufi dance or you're singing uh by the way i'm not sure if i mentioned to you phil um <laughs> the, the the latest joyous thing i'm doing in my life uh every wednesday now i'm practicing i'm singing with a gospel choir you, you did tell me that yes. i love it i yes. love it and same deal you know you look yeah. at even the titles of the of the the songs we're singing one of them is called unspeakable joy there you go um <laughs> and 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 all of those things and plus for people who've never thought in terms of spiritual practice giving them my taking care of my what why is it that there's a joy that's deeper and finer and realer and more long-lasting um and and somehow purer when I'm giving than when I'm getting something. Same deal. And which is why every spiritual tradition calls upon its followers to do acts of service and um charity yeah. and yeah, pe people people usually think, you know, when they think of Buddhism and they think of the Buddha, they see him seated in meditation, that they think, okay, that's the the path where you do meditation. Yes. But also uh in Buddhism there's the the tradition of what's called the six paramitas, the six transcendental virtues, which support enlightenment. And they have a classical order. And the first one is dana paramita, which is the generosity. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that makes everything else possible. By the way, I recently did a series for Tricycle, the Buddhist magazine. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a series on the six paramitas relating each one to a different work of western literature and the first one was a christmas carol Donna mm. paramita and and you know the wonderful you know the the real recipient of you know again more blessed to give than to receive you know scrooge's transformation from this miserable character to this deliriously happy happy person comes from from giving Quite right, and you mentioned Hindu uh, Buddhism, but in the uh, Hindu or the yogic tradition, it's very similar. We think of yoga as practices and all that, but one of one of the four main yogic paths is karma yoga, which calls yeah. upon people to uh, do what's called seva. And uh, yeah. well, let's segue then. 
Yes. From uh, Casablanca. I wanted to add one thing about Casablanca is how can I say this without giving too much away? It it breaks with expectations of mm-hmm. Hollywood storytelling. Yes. Yes. To make the very points yes. that you've been making. Y- yes, this is correct. And in fact, um, if you read the, the the history of the making of that film, during the shooting, they didn't know how the story was going to end. Mm-hmm. They they didn't know, um, you know, are we going to follow the Hollywood convention here or or what? Uh, and it came the 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 two writers. What were their names? They were twin brothers, Philip and Mankiewicz. No, no, no. Um, but any in any case, yeah. uh, uh, they didn't know until very late in the shooting how the thing was going to end, and the and the actors didn't know. Uh, uh, and I think that's part of the 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 wonderful energy of the film is that they really, even in the back of their mind, did not know where the arc of the story was mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. land. So so they really had to be kind of awake in the moment of of what was going on where they were. Wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's switch uh, to literature and your yep. most recent book, <clears throat> "The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature." <laughs> if you if you're watching the excerpts on YouTube someday, you see Dean holding it up. Yes. So there, again, as with Cinema Nirvana, you have some unexpected choices. Some. Yeah. To people like me, were expected. I expected to see J.D. Salinger. Yes, but I did not. And Thoreau and Emerson, Thoreau, I should say, but I did not expect to find Virginia Woolf or uh, Frederick Douglass or F. Scott Fitzgerald or Ernest Hemingway. Or Ernest Hemingway. Yes, and. Yes. But yes. even before we get to Hemingway, mm-hmm. I wanted you to address the uh, what has often been called, you know, a candidate for the great American novel, but has also become a, a source of controversy because mm-hmm. of this depiction of racial uh, mm-hmm. issues. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is uh, Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. Right. Why Huck? Why Huck? Huck is the spirit of freedom. Right. I mean, this is what we're talking about: freedom, liberation. Um, and he's 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 freedom, and he's freedom that endures. You know, I start my chapter on Huckleberry Finn with a, I'll tell you, a wonderful little discovery I made in my research, which is that uh, when the Mount St. Helena uh, eruption took place, the, the 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 biggest volcanic event in 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 the United States. Um, and all this damage and how many people were killed and how many houses were destroyed and how big the crater was that was ripped in the top of the mountain and and all the vegetation was destroyed except the huckleberry bushes survived. Hmm. (laughs) So they're hardy little buggers um, and they're lowly little buggers. In in, um, Mark Twain's time, uh, they were considered, you know, food for poor people. Mm. Uh, and that's why even to this day, we, we do have this expression, I'm your huckleberry, meaning I'm your, your lowly sidekick. Mm. Mm. Um, but, uh, so, so Twain gave this name, Huckleberry Finn. Finn was the, the stereotypical name in the mid 19th century for a, 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 a drunken Irishman. Uh, so he, he based his character of, of Huckleberry Finn on the, on a, a real person, Tom Blankenship, who was the, the son of the town drunk, uh, in, uh, Hannibal, Missouri, where Twain grew up. Um, and he was a kid who just lived in perfect freedom. He, 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 uh, slept in, in, in doorways and in big barrels and, and in the woods and didn't have to go to school or church. And all the mothers in town were terrified because their kids just all wanted to be like, like Tom Blankenship. 
Um, so Huck is this spirit of, of, of unkillable freedom. Um, so in a way, if all we're interested in is freedom, actually continuing on our theme here, if all we're interested in is Buddha, we can stop at the beginning of the story. Uh, but we want to go to Bodhisattva. Right. We want we we need to expand the realm of of freedom to others through kindness. So uh Huck, who finds himself adopted by the widow Douglas and having to wear starched clothes now and go to church and go to school, once again has has to escape. He escapes down the river. And I in, in my chapter uh in, in the book, I do a lot of the parallels between Huck's journey and the the journey of of uh, Siddhartha Gautama on his way to becoming the Buddha. Uh, there's a lot of striking parallels, but um, so Huck winds up joining forces with Jim, uh, an escape slave, a runaway slave, uh, and winds up um, having. The, so they're both on a search for freedom together, going down the Mississippi River on a raft. The crisis point where they that they reach is where Huck is. Um, they 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 take a wrong turn on the river and wind up instead of going north toward freedom, they're, they're going south into the deep south. And and Jim is is captured by a local farmer, and Huck is plotting to free Jim. And then suddenly he finds himself in the grip of his conscience, and. Twain here does this incredible thing where Huck's inner monologue is clearly channeling every white racist preacher that Mark Twain, when he was growing up as young Samuel Clemens, must have heard in his, his pre-Civil War boyhood. And that, oh, Huck, by helping this slave escape, you're stealing, you're helping him steal himself. That's someone else's property. You will go to hell for that. Right? So he, he he's thrust into this religious crisis. And so he writes a letter um, that he's going to send to, to Jim's owner, uh, Miss Watson, um, and he says, "Oh, and so he put the letter down. Now I can breathe. Now I can, can, can uh, pray." And uh, so he s- starts getting ready to pray and and get ready to send the letter. And then he starts thinking about all their times together on the river and how kind Jim always was and how happy Jim always was to, and how much he loved Huck. And he says, "And then I and then I happened to turn around." And I see that letter it says, I kind of held my breath because I knowed I'd had to choose forever betwixt two things. And finally he says, so I, I waited a minute. I held kind of holding my breath. And I says, all right, then I'll go to hell. <laughs> that there's your liberation. There's your li- to me possibly the the all right then I'll go to hell the seven most important words ever written seven most powerful to me that is the true declaration of independence um, and then of course he goes to work to free Jim and, uh, and and that's how his journey becomes complete that's how he that's his version of what happens with Rick in in Casablanca mm-hmm. how he expands beyond himself and a, Attains his own true liberation by by helping others, but the really I think um, important point here because there's a point here that's often misunderstood. People often uh, say, "Oh, Huck realizes that slavery is wrong." He doesn't do that. His brainwashing, his early conditioning is too powerful, and he's 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 not an intellectual giant. It, it, it's very, you know, if he decides that, then the whole thing loses its significance. He's still convinced that by helping Jim, he's choosing to go to hell, but right. he's going to do it 
anyway. So it's not that he's replaced his old ideas with better, more progressive ideas, uh, more, you know, lowercase e enlightened ideas. It's that he has um, risen above the the level of ideas. He is he is he is um, uh, let his heart. Uh, right. actually, uh, uh, Twain years later described his book as he says, a battle in which, uh, a sound heart and a deformed conscience do battle and conscience suffers defeat. Mm-hmm. It's right. a victory of love in the end. It's-, it's the victory of love. That's exactly right. And I think this is particularly, um, uh, um, uh, relevant to, us today in a lot of situations that we find ourselves looking at and maybe um, involved in. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know how deep we want to go into this, but um, there's been situations that I know you're, you're, you're very um, cognizant of uh, where people in a particular uh, a spiritual organization um uh, uh where where women have come out and reported th- with act- absolutely you know irrefutable um um uh, integrity have reported um uh sexual misconduct being done by very revered spiritual master well and- you, that has happened far more times than we would like you Phil, you wrote the book on that. <laughs> well, at least a chapter. <laughs> at least a American chapter Veda, of American right? Veda. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sad to say it's still going on. It's 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 still going on. Um, it was going on way before we got here and will probably be going on way after we're gone. Right. Uh, but I, I know that you and I were both, you know, kind of had an up-close look at a particular organization where this was going on and where a lot of people in the organization have treated those women abominably mm-hmm. because it because to open their hearts to those women would require them to rise above their closely held doctrine which 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 depended on uh, a you know a, an infallible guru and um I would say it's not only their own cognitive dissonance that they're protecting, but in some cases, they will even accept the evidence as valid, but protect the teacher, protect the guru, the way um, followers of cult leaders and dictators protect the authority figure. Yeah, and why? And why? And for what? Ultimately, we're all after the same thing. It's for liberation, for liberation. But but they 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 are you know um, convinced you know very very strongly persuaded that my liberation depends on my connection with this organization or my connection with this teacher or the keeping a a, a squeaky clean reputation for our organization, even if we have to sweep some stuff under the table or my continuing to do X, Y, Z technique. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I would submit to people in that situation. And I've gone through a few iterations of this myself (laughs) and, you know, know, over, over the years that, uh, that if you want, if you really want liberation, you have to be willing to say, "All right, then I'll go to hell." <laughs> Very good. Right. However, um, however, hell, however, lack of heaven, lack of enlightenment, lack of however it's been defined in your particular doctrine by your particular organization or guru, you have to be ready to to say, "Nope." And sometimes it means just uh, giving up being uh, a part of something that's, uh, yeah. uh, you, you know, your community or friends mm-hmm. and you have to uh, take a stand. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just conclude that uh, uh, segment mm-hmm. by referring people to uh, 
an organization I'm on the board of called the Association for Spiritual Integrity, uh, which was essentially started because of incidents like this um, uh, and the need to hold the people to higher standards, high teachers. And so I, I encourage you to look that up, Google it. Um, and Dean, in our five, six minutes left, since since we uh, segued away from literature and film, mm-hmm. let me ask you this. Um, <clears throat> you, like me, have been on this path for two-thirds of your life, about, mm-hmm. um, more mm-hmm. than half a century. Things were different at one point than they are now. How have you, uh, if you could, if you step back at times, say, my, the spiritual landscape of uh, America is different now. People, the people you have been associating with who are students of yours, mm-hmm. um, how are they different from how, say, we were back mm-hmm. in, in the day? What is, is there an evolution? Have things progressed in certain ways? What's different now in your uh, judgment? Mm. In your uh, uh, Well, I, I would say the, the first thing that's different is that it's kind of become an assumption in the culture that meditation is a good thing. Yeah. As you know, that was far <laughs> from the case when we started, you know, we, we used to start, I, I know I used to start every public lecture that I gave on meditation. You know, when I started doing this in 1970, uh, you know, with a joke about, no, it's not a bed. There's no crystal balls or beds of nails or flying carpets. And it was a joke, but I felt, I always felt I had to tell that joke just to kind of clear the air a little bit. And there was so much feeling of, oh, this is some, you know, Eastern hippie cult thing or, or, or something. Um, so that's, that's much better. Um, you know, everything's been blessed by Oprah and, and, you know, the, the, the Tom, Tom Hanks and your healthcare you know. provider. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so, so that's very different. Um, having said that, I would say the key thing that to, to me is, is, you know, the key to meditation, which is effortlessness is still, pretty much not understood <laughs> i'm still i'm still banging that drum 50 years later and i get a lot of people and uh you 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 mentioned briefly i i do uh offer zoom sessions there are three times a week in different time slots so i get people from all over the country and actually all over the world um and they're free forever for everyone you know just come to my uh website and you can get the info on that and you'll you'll put my website in the Yes. the description of the and of this with, with the spelling of slider which we we'll might as well just say it. it's s l u y t e r yeah so it's a wacky dutch name so deanslider.com um and so what i do find is that a lot of the people who come um are uh they've been some of them have been trying to meditate for years a lot of them have been uh, you know with this mindfulness course and this one and this one some of them have been certified as teachers mm-hmm. uh in the these other kinds of techniques and they come and and it's not something original i made up as you no. know um and and it's just they and it doesn't take long they they uh, just about to a man and a woman they get it in the first session uh and just, I mean, in some cases, you just see the tears of relief and gratitude. And, you know, I say, I've been trying so hard for so long. And I have such respect for them that they stayed with it mm. when it was you know, that, uh, that yeah. much work and that unrewarding. I, I don't think I would have. Mm. So, so, so that's, I think, what's different. And that's, I think, what is the same. That's interesting, uh, but certainly you're right. I I get uh, I remember getting mailings from uh, 
my healthcare provider uh, telling me uh, I should learn to meditate because it's good for my health. And I, I would yeah. think, you know, well, you're 50 years too late in my case, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh -huh. good that you're doing it. And now, you know, there's yoga rooms and meditation rooms and airports and in yeah. corporate settings and all that. So yeah. that's a that's a big change. Something's changed. Something's I guess don't. And I, I don't know if you're uh, uh, will agree with this in the minute or so we have left, but I find people who come to these teachings uh, much uh, more sophisticated than they used to be uh, because there's so much out there. It's so much yeah. a part of the culture mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They've been generally people have been exposed to a lot of stuff. I mean, how well it's been digested and assimilated yeah. as you know, there's a, that's another yeah. question. And um, how much it's been corrupted and diluted and commercialized and all the rest yeah. is yeah. a shadow side to everything. Okay. Dean. Yes. We have to sign off. I'm going to give you the mic as it were for final words to our uh, listeners any any advice you have about either the subject of meditation which you may already have completed or how they can somehow replicate your experience and find uh wis wisdom uh in literature and movies and the so forth there's there a trick <laughs> <laughs> um well, I would say, okay, my, I mean, how, how, how you find that insight into movies and poems and so forth. I, I don't know. Cause I've been, I've been doing this for most of my life. Um, uh, but as far as the much more important thing, um, which is, which is, 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 is this, I would say to whatever degree you felt this spark, this impulse, this little, maybe you know small still voice that says there is something more there is something bigger there is this this bigger life this enlightened life whatever you call it to live yes you're right listen <laughs> to that voice don't listen to all the voices telling you that that's crazy or that's weird and 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 the second thing is that it really is doable and it's doable by regular ordinary schmoes like ourselves um and uh and there are resources there are good teachers out there who are making this stuff available uh in a way that it was not the case uh you know 60 years ago um and i i, I would close with this uh, uh the 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 words that aldous huxley uh said when someone asked him toward the end of his life all your years of exploring philosophy and religion and psychedelic exploration and and all of that what advice do you have for people and he said well all i can say is try to be a little bit kinder <laughs> i love it i love it and when you're out there searching and exploring use your discernment yes um dean as as, as 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 uh, one of our uh, uh, favorite um, musical artists once sang, "You better shop around." <laughs> Mama was right. Yes. Um, thank you, Dean. As always, a joy to talk to you, listeners. Go to deanslider.com, Read Dean's books see his other offerings. Do the same in my case. Go to philipgoldberg.com. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Please subscribe so you uh, don't miss an episode. Uh, email me with your suggestions. Uh, get on my mailing list. I, I don't uh, annoy people with too frequent mailings. And let me know how we could do the podcast better. And if you have any suggestions for guests who can enlighten our listeners. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time.
Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.